This is the news for the week beginning the 29th of January 2024. I'm Ross Clennett. Australia's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate remained steady at 3.9% in December as the previous month's record high participation rate dropped half a percentage point to 66.8%, according to ABS Labor Force data released two weeks ago. Overall, the labour market shared 65,100 jobs, with a 106,600 drop in full-time employment, countered by a 41,400 increase in part-time employment. According to Jobs and Skills Australia's Recruitment Experiences report for December 2023, 20% of surveyed employers were forecasting to add headcount in the following three months, and only 5% were expecting to cut headcount. The recruitment difficulty rate fell by 5 percentage points over the month to 51% of recruiting employers. 12 months previously, 65% of employers reported recruitment difficulty. The peak of recruitment difficulty remained 75% recorded in July 2022. Robert Half's latest survey of hiring manager intentions for the first six months of 2024 revealed 50% of Australian employers are planning to add permanent staff, while 33% said they will add contract staff. The survey polled 500 hiring managers, including 100 CFOs and 100 CIOs. In recently analysed data to discover which ASX100 companies have the longest tenured employees, Australia's financial services sector fared best with financial services companies appearing six times within the top 20, although no financial services company made the top five. Melbourne headquartered Blue Scope Steel easily took the top spot by 1.1 years with 9.7 years median employee tenure. The research undertaken by Resume.io using employee profiles on LinkedIn ranked the top 10 as follows. Blue Scope, Qantas, Illumina, Brambles, Telstra, Santos, Origin, ANZ, Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, and rounding out the top 10 was Lendlease. Some of the lowest median employee tenure came from tech companies, with Atlassian second ranked at 1.1 years median tenure, with carsales.com.au, REA Group and Seek also appearing on the list. Electric vehicle battery developer Liontown Resources was the ASX100's worst performing company with respect to median employee tenure at just seven months. The three largest London-headquartered publicly listed recruitment groups operating in Australia all reported poor quarterly December 2023 results. Hayes ANZ reported December 2023 quarterly gross profit fell by 20% on a like-for-like basis. Temp decreased by 16% with PERM down 27%. Private sector GP decreased by 25% with public sector GP down 13%. By country, Australia gross profit declined 19%, while New Zealand gross profit dropped 35%. By region, New South Wales declined the most with a 24% drop. And by specialism, construction and property, the largest specialism locally, dropped by 23%. Hayes ANZ headcount dropped from 1,006 at the end of September to 895 at the end of December, an 11% decline in the quarter. Across the 2023 calendar year, headcount declined by 225, a 20% decline. On a group basis, 
Gross profit was down 10% and Chief Executive Dirk Hahn announced a half-year profit guidance of £60 million, which was below the low end of analysts' expectations. For the same December quarter, Page Group reported group gross profit decreased by 8.9% on a constant currency basis to £237.3 million, with all the drop coming from permanent recruitment, down 14%, as temp and contract net fee income climbed 5%. In the Asia-Pacific region, gross profit for Q4 was down 10.3% against 2022 to £35.9 million, with Page Group Australia reporting a 24% year-on-year decline in quarterly gross profit. Globally, the company shed 224, or 3.7% of its fee-earning roles, and 57 back-office jobs in the final three months of 2023, with reductions made across all its regions worldwide. Overall, the group had 5,851 global fee-earners and a total headcount of 7,859. Robert Walters' most recent trading update in the fourth quarter ended 31 December 2023 reported group net fee income was down 10% in constant currency, with the Asia-Pacific region dropping 9% to £39.6 million. Robert Walters Australia's gross profit was down 27% year-on-year in the December 2023 quarter. A New Zealand company has lost its disputes tribunal case against a recruitment agency and the on-hire worker it engaged through the agency after the tribunal referee noted the company had extended the original contract with the worker even after performance issues had emerged. The company didn't pay the worker's last five invoices totalling $14,000. The recruitment agency took the company to the tribunal hoping to have those wages paid to its contractor but the company counterclaimed for $30,000, which is the amount it says its former employee cost it in mistakes. The company said the recruitment firm misrepresented the man's abilities, while the agency says any vetting should have been done by the employer before it hired the man. The tribunal referee Elizabeth Payton Simpson ruled against the company, saying in her ruling the contract does not specify the work to be achieved, only the hours to be worked. She pointed to a clause in the... employment contract between the company and the recruitment agency, which stated, you are responsible for supervising, directing and controlling the manner, time and place in which the contingent worker carries out work for you during the assignment. Peyton Simpson also pointed to another clause in the same agreement, which stated that the agency wouldn't be liable for any damages or losses arising from the performance of any worker hired by the company through it. Auckland-based construction and labour hire firm ELE Holdings Limited and an allied transport business have been placed in receivership with about 1,000 workers laid off just before Christmas. ELE recruited staff in New Zealand and overseas for the building, manufacturing and healthcare sectors and also offered refrigerated transport and freight services through a subsidiary. Workers were told the week before Christmas they no longer had jobs. About 60% of the company's workforce is believed to consist of migrant workers. ELE's sole director is Brent Mulholland, who formerly was GM for AWF, owned by publicly listed Accordant, parent company of Madison Recruitment and Absolute IT, where he was employed for just over 10 years until 2014. ELE was listed in Deloitte New Zealand's Fast 50 in both 2018 and 2019. 
The Australian Government is adding 19 occupations to its Australian Apprenticeship Priority List, making apprentices, trainees and their employers eligible for financial support. In an announcement earlier this month, Skills and Training Minister Brendan O'Connor said the occupations on the list are based on hard evidence drawn from public and private data that has been analysed by Jobs and Skills Australia. The newly added occupations include ambulance officer, architectural draftsperson, flight attendant, furniture maker, nursing support worker, out-of-school hours care worker and sound technician among others. The list is used by the Australian Apprenticeship Incentive System which extends financial and non-financial support to apprentices and their employers in a bid to boost commencements and completions. The world's 10th largest staffing firm by revenue, Outsourcing Inc, owner of local brands, Clicks, Hoban, Bluefin Resources, PM Partners, Jigsaw Talent Management and Horizon One, will go private in a deal announced just before Christmas. The firm currently trades on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. The transaction is styled as a management buyout with the backing of US-based Bain Capital Private Equity. The company has been forced to issue amended results for several past years because of fraudulent reporting series of investigations wrapped up last month. Based on a calculation supplied by the company, the aggregate tender offer price is the equivalent of 1.53 billion US dollars. After topping Deloitte's CFO sentiment risk agendas for the last five surveys since mid-2020, securing and retaining key talent dropped to fifth place, with 46% of respondents nominating it, as their largest risk concern, down from 71% six months ago in the latest survey published just before Christmas. CFOs now rank inflation and interest rate movements as the biggest risks to their business over the next 12 months. Inflation is the largest risk concern, nominated by 71% of respondents, and is up from 51% six months ago. Ranking immediately below securing and retaining key talent in equal sixth place was data management, cybersecurity and analytics capability and change in regulations or government policy. The US labour market continues to produce strong results, with December's monthly employment rise of 216,000 jobs easily beating analyst forecasts. The unemployment rate remained at 3.7%. Employer sentiment in the U.S. remains robust, with Robert Half's State of U.S. Hiring Survey reporting 57% of respondents plan to increase headcount in the first six months of the year, and 67% expect to hire contract workers. According to the survey, 90% of hiring managers report difficulty finding skilled professionals, and 58% said it takes longer to hire for open roles compared to one year ago. The bullish U.S. labour market aligns with recent economic data with last week's advance estimate of U.S. real gross domestic product in Q4 2023 by the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis showing a 3.3% annual growth rate. Economists polled by Reuters had forecast GDP growth of just 2%. And now your news is up to date for the week commencing the 29th of January 2024. I'm... Question of the week comes from the news article this week in New Zealand about the recruitment agency that uh, took 
their client to the disputes tribunal around clauses in their terms of business and was successful, in fact, in having um, the recommendation from the tribunal referee stating that their contract or terms of business um, was able to, you know, or would recommend that, that you know, uh, the client adheres to it. So the question is, what should recruiters know about their terms of business and explaining them to clients? I think this is a really important part of our industry. So, Ross, what would you say we should know and how best to explain? Well, the first thing to say, Dill, is when I started as a recruiter a long time ago, in both of my first two employers, that's uh, now known as Hayes and then Recruitment Solutions, I was trained in being able to understand and explain the terms of business and I was tested on it. And I needed to pass the test. So it was a very important part of my induction and initial training. So perhaps I'll just go through what I think are the four most important things from a PERM recruitment point of view. And then maybe you might um, look at that from a temple contract point of view. So let's start with how the services are charged. So if you're a PERM recruiter, the most typical way PERM services are charged, it's a percentage of the successful candidate's first year remuneration. And it's critical that the client understands whether that percentage is based on just the base salary, the base salary plus super, base salary plus super plus benefits. Because most recruitment agencies will charge on base salary plus super plus benefits, but not all. So you need to explain how those services are charged. So for example, if uh, it's a $150,000 package, so base plus super plus benefits adds up to 150 and you have a 20% fee, then you explain to the client it's a $30,000 fee plus GST. If you're in Australia, it's plus GST. So that's the first thing to explain how the services are charged. Now, if you're a retained recruiter and you're charging separate invoices, not just one invoice, and the client is agreeing to a retainer, then you explain what the first retainer is, either the percentage of the fee or a set dollar amount, and when that will be invoiced. And then when the second stage, if you are charging a second stage and a third stage. So there, there is no ambiguity about the way in which the services are charged and the amount. The second critical thing is the timing of the invoice. Very important for the client's cash flow. So using the example of a contingent recruiter where you are charging once for a success fee, some agencies, but not all, charge after the candidate has signed the employment contract and returned it to the client. Some agencies, but not all, charge on the first day or invoice on the first day of the candidate's employment. So again, you need to make it clear with the client exactly when the invoice or invoices will be issued. Third thing, payment terms. In permanent recruitment, most but not all agencies charge on 14 days. So what are your payment terms? And the fourth thing, 
which is the guarantee period, is also related to the payment terms. Because if you've got a guarantee period of, for example, a free replacement in the first three months, but that replacement is contingent upon the invoice being paid within the payment terms, then you need to say that to the client so they fully understand. If your payment terms are other than 14, explain that. If your guarantee is something other than a free replacement, so if it's money back or if it's a sliding scale, again, explain that. So they're the four most important things that a perm recruiter must know and must communicate to the client verbally when they're having the conversation about the assignment. Yeah, I would agree with those on PERM and there are a few differences for temp recruitment, of course, but I think it is important the point you're making, Ross, around explaining them to the client and not assuming that they know these things and not assuming that they're the same for every agency as well. Assuming that they've, you know, you might think, oh, they've worked with other agencies before, they would know this. So on the temp side, I would say it's uh, the provision of the services themselves. So what exactly are we providing when we're providing a temp or a contractor? Uh, We are providing the sourcing of the worker and that introduction to their work site, but we're not performing the work, nor are we responsible for the worker when they're on site. So I think that provision of the service is really critical in temp recruitment. I think when the invoices are issued, you know, so what the pay week is, do you start on a Sunday, do you start on a Monday, you know, what is the mm-hmm. the um, interval in terms of your pay week? And again, don't assume it's the same for every agency because it's not. In fact, most experience, my experience, uh, I think it's been different for every company that I've worked for. And also, you know, when, when you're expecting to be paid on those invoices because we have paid the worker, we are likely to pay the worker as soon as the work is complete and the timesheet has been approved and invoice issued. And what are the payment terms then? You know, if, if, if it's seven days, you need to really enforce that to the client or sorry, uh, you know, explain that to the client. Uh, and then the timesheet is really important. That's the sign off on the hours. That's their approval that the work has been completed and, you know, has been performed in those hours. So really explaining to the client the importance of the timesheet and what it means and how that triggers the payment to the worker and the generation of your invoice. I think that's a really important part of temp recruitment uh, responsibility in explaining these to clients. Um, the fourth one is about that article, it comes from that article around who's responsible for the worker. So, it's important to explain to the client that they are responsible for the worker at all times. They're responsible for the induction, for the training, for the ongoing supervision of the person while they're on site the whole time. And that also includes occupational health and safety obligations mm. and liabilities. So explaining that to the client up front would uh, stop the situation that happened with that article, maybe not help prevent it at least, so that the client understands they are responsible for the worker. And then your final job as a temp recruiter would be about making sure they understand the hourly rates and the overtime parameters or allowances or any variations to the way the person um, will be paid or what they might be paid for. So, you know, temp recruiters need to be really familiar with the way awards are structured and uh, overtime parameters and, and how to read awards uh, and all of that sort of information as well. So, Hopefully, those bits of information give everybody a bit of an idea around what recruiters need to know in both PERM and TEMP, like Ross and I have explained. But I think the really important factor we point we want to make in this is 
It's about explaining them to clients. It's not just a, a transaction where you say, well, this is a legal document, this is a contract, here you go, sign it. If you have any questions, let me know and, and keep yep. your fingers crossed, hope they don't ask anything. It is your job to make sure the client understands it. Yes, and it's your job to know your terms better than your client knows them. And if your client asserts something that's inaccurate or is a, a misrepresentation of your terms, you need to correct them immediately. If your client makes a statement about the award that is inaccurate, your knowledge of the award should mean that you'll be able to jump on them and not literally, obviously, figuratively <laughs> jump on them and tell them that that's not accurate. You cannot rely on the document to do the heavy lifting for you. It is your responsibility as the recruiter to know your terms, to know them intimately and to be able to explain them, explain them to the client because it's these sorts of conversations that you have up front that prevent, I would say, 90 to 95% of issues that turn up further down the track with respect to terms and conditions of business. Yeah, and look, I'm going to give uh, both of us a bit of a plug on this, Ross, because I know in my own recruitment training course and in your rookie program as well, we cover this part of the role. We cover the requirement about understanding the terms and how to explain them to a client. So if you've got people working for you who are talking to your clients, whether they're bringing in the business or not, they're having these discussions with clients, they may get asked questions by the client around terms. You have to make sure they know what they're talking about. So, you know, speak to Ross and myself if you think someone in your team needs some training. Completely agree with that, Adele. <laughs> 